Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hello. Malka, great to have you on the show. Thank and, you. Uh, we have, I have a um, little bit of a cold. I'm sorry, you should have a refuah shlema. There's a lot of people with colds. Some people, people got colds. the rones, you know, corona. corona. Yeah, that's right. But I feel okay. You should have a refuah shlema among you. you and the many injured yeah. uh, Israeli soldiers. Right, uh, this is like little, right now. like a little cold. Is actually makes you feel better because you're just like at least I'm taking part in the suffering that some people are really dealing with. Yeah, uh, in the last uh, in the last day and a half, we lost four Israeli soldiers. Right. Um, even That's a lot of people, even That's a lot of Jewish, sweet Jewish people. Amit Segal, mm-hmm. who is Israel's like most famous. Commentator, uh, commentator, like broke down crying in oh. in, in, in during uh, during a uh, a broadcast because uh, Yitzhar Hoffman mm-hmm. was his neighbor uh, and kind of knew he wasn't the same age, right? But, but they uh, were but neighbors. They knew, but they knew each other, okay. and this uh, Yitzhar Hoffman was a was a commander in the elite Shaldag unit, right. which is which is an air force recon unit. Uh, and he was killed in northern Gaza yesterday, which is another question. Why are people yeah, getting why killed is that in northern still Gaza? Yeah. And, and the commentators and people are saying that, and I think it's very you know, logical and simple, which is you're letting the bad guys back in. Right. And, uh, and when Israel doesn't have full and total control of these areas, then they, then they, then they take over again. And, and that's, that's part of the um, call that Israelis are making uh, on our government to hold on to land and not to cede it back to the terrorists and and not to allow all of these beautiful fighters to have fallen for nothing. Um, See, it's funny because on the outside, you know, people talk about like militants and civilians and stuff. And while it's true that these people died um, as fighters in a war, like they're, I guess, if you want to address it very coldly and clinically, like they are legitimate um, targets in a war like the reality is that almost no one in israel is a career soldier almost nobody all almost all the people who are being killed are people who are doing obligatory draft or reserve like obligatory reserve duty these are not people whose lives are about army service these are people who are willing to put their lives aside to do the necessary army service so it's it hurts because because while they die as soldiers, in our hearts they die as civilians. You understand? They are our neighbors. They are our brothers. They are our our friends. Our guys who live next door. Our guy that we do high tech work with. Our guy who's our accountant. Our teacher. Yuval Nir, uh, who was killed yesterday, had five kids. Terrible. Okay, so that's right that's here five. from an, uh, right. from Judea. So that's five. Right. That's five orphans. So many orphans. So many orphans in this war. It's crazy. It really. I think about them a lot. I think about them a lot also because this is our son's bar mitzvah year, mm-hmm. um, and he still has a while until his bar mitzvah, but he's gearing up. And I just think to myself, like, how many of these kids are not going to have 
their father at their bar mitzvah or yeah. at their wedding or even like at their like school Hanukkah party or to tuck them in or it's just and and the least that we could do so is hard. make their death count right you know what I mean and uh, and make right let them die as heroes so so you know Israelis have been uh, organizing I'm on a WhatsApp group of a of a or an effort to organize the blockage of the sending of food and medicine right. to Gaza because it ends in the hands right. ends up in the hands of Hamas and it's like it's like our citizenry is organizing to block our country from feeding the enemies from, yeah, that we're fighting it up. yep it's, it's just like it's a, it's a it's a rough moment yeah i mean it's not i can't say this is exactly unprecedented yeah. you know we we you and aisha were very active in the fight to stop the expulsion of jews from gush katif um, we, you know, we this, basically were doing the same stuff. Right. It's the same exact. It's the same exact stuff. It's the right. Same exact stuff because because what we were saying back then, seventeen years ago, nineteen, uh, two thousand and five, nineteen. All right, nineteen is it? Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, time so flies. I've been yeah. having fun. Okay. Yeah. So what we were saying nineteen years ago, almost twenty years ago, was that this would eventually happen. That right. Hamas would take over. This would be a jihadist front base. We that you can you can look back in the archives. You can listen to our shows. We that's what we were saying. We should play some of that stuff. I, I wonder are, if we could find any of that. I can. I I have it all. Uh, uh it's it's definitely playable. Now would be the time to be playing snippets of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Malka, I wanted to tell you that um, one of the things that I noticed during this war about. Well, about the nature of this war is that one of the, I, I, I'm always fascinated by war because war is so much more than the physical conflict. There are repercussions of war sure. that are that are so everything. many and huge. And, every, and everything. Right. And one of the things I noticed that this is also a war about stuff because Israel is also kind of rearming. We've realized where we are, our army and and our and our uh, government has not supplied us with enough stuff. All right. So everybody's right. getting and these. We had uh, people from around the world sending in like emergency charter flights filled with stuff at the beginning of this war. Right. And then and then stuff is still coming in. Um. So I want to talk about two things about stuff that I'm a little bit involved in peripherally, and I want to just help people get connected to something. Another thing that this war is about, it related to that, is is the ability to connect through stuff so as i'm doing the show with you i'm looking right now at the table i see your yarn ah my camo colored yarn you got camo color yarn you've been making keepers tactical keepers right i have a few that i gotta still hand out right and uh, and you're making them people love them they really really love them so i want to mention three ways that people can connect through stuff okay three different ways one sponsor a malka tactical keeper <laughs> you think it's funny but we actually order this yarn malka malka sews it weaves it right i crochet it, crochet, it, crochet, it. crochet crochet okay uh, you which know, is therapeutic for me that that's actually how i started because i was so tense yeah at the beginning of this war then i was just like ah and then i was just like what can i do i'm like hard drugs no run away from home no crochet yes crochet tactical keepers yes and i see many soldiers around here with malka's tactical keeper so go to fight for israel with the number four fightforisrael.org and you could donate to a tactical malka malka's tactical keepers two 
An amazingly funny thing has emerged in this war is that this is also the war of patches. People love patches. There's a lot of patches, patches of the units. And there's today... It has like, it's Velcro. And, Velcro and basically the, the soldiers' uniforms have like the one side, like the hook side or whatever, or the fluffy side. They have the fluffy side of the Velcro on the, on the shoulders. And then the people are selling and making all kinds of patches with the hook side of the, the Velcro. You just stick it on to to your to your shoulder and then people are wearing them as as emblems that they want to carry around with them during the war that's right and i have so many different patches for example my brother ordered me a patch that has a a, a quote from the book of joshua you know be strong and of good heart that kind of thing and then there's the haravot brazil the uh, swords of steel patches then there's the unit patches but something that has become extremely flag of israel patch flag of israel patch what has become very popular and people are very excited about is the temple patches and the Mashiach patches. Beit HaMikdash patch. Right. Beit HaMikdash, the third temple patches. Thank you, Malka. And, uh, the, um, and the Mashiach patches. And soldiers get excited about that. So I'm, I'm going around. I was in a base. There was this, uh, there was this concert by Yishai Rebo at a base. And there was this guy handing out to every soldier a Mashiach patch. And the soldiers were loving it. And this is his mitzvah. This is what he's doing That's every so day. That's so cool. This is what he's doing. So then I started like searching into this. And my friend Josh Wander and, and a guy named Danny Seaman here in Efrat were like, yeah, we're, we're ordering patches. We're making patches. And I'm like, yeah, give me patches. And I got patches. And it just started being a realization that like this is something that we can give our soldiers. But there's a narrative here. There's a narrative here, which is like, I wear a patch for a reason because that makes the war have a purpose. So if you go to fightforisrael.org, I think there's going to be, by the time you hear the show, a drop-down menu that's going to be called uh, Holy Patches Project for Soldiers, okay? <laughs> cool. Yeah. So sponsoring patches for soldiers. Patches for soldiers. Can people purchase a patch for themselves? Uh, probably Yes. Probably, but for yes, now we're starting we're with right the now, patches yeah, for soldiers. That's exactly. just such a nice idea. And it's basically these two patches, the Mashiach patch and the Beit HaMikdash patch? Yes. Yes. The Beit HaMikdash patch especially is, is the one that, that my friends are making. That's so cool. And that makes this temple, if you think about it, if uh, this makes this war, what do are, what are the Arabs call this war? The, the jihadis, what do they call the war? The Al-Aqsa flood. It's all about Al-Aqsa. It's all about the, you know, the temple, temple mount. And, temple and, mount and, war. Right. right. So... Right, oh. it's either going to be an Al-Aqsa flood or a Beit HaMikdash Simchat Beit HaShoeva. Right, to fix what happened. Right, on, to on cleansing. The... There is going to be water on the Temple Mount, basically. Right. Whose water is it going to be? That's cool. That's crazy pants, what you just said. That's cool. That, that, I, didn't, I didn't see that. That's, that's neat. That's cool. That's powerful. Okay, so the, uh, so the Beit HaMikdash flood, right? Beit uh, HaMikdash Beit HaShoeva. Or Sponja Beit HaMikdash. Yeah. So that's also at fightforisrael.org. And finally, there are still a lot of people that don't have the tactical vests uh, with the uh, bulletproof plating. Really? Yes. How so, is that possible? Well, they're not necessarily just regular soldiers. Some of them are first response units. Uh. For example, here in Gush Etzion, Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a beautiful town called Bat Ein, mm-hmm. and they are building up their rapid response team, and they're still short, like 20 of these vests. But we're not talking about fighters in Gaza right no. now. No. 
But my good friend, but still important. Yeah, it's very important. This is the home front. This is very important. So my good friend, Izzy Danzinger from Mishmeret Yesha, he's a classic old timer. He's like been through through the whole like Oslo war thing. And years ago, already in the 90s, began making, getting a a sewing operation going, getting the best plates and the best vests and and really, and I wear one of the uh, Ah. Yesha vests. Mm -hmm. I wear an old school one, but he's got a lot of new school ones. Like new styles. The new, the more advanced advanced styles. And that also, you can sponsor a vest through uh, Mishmeret Yesha, and I'm just going to be That's so nice. That's a great idea. Through Fight. Number four, mm-hmm. Israel.org. I like that. Israel.org. That's just a that's just a, a a kind of a website that I created. Do you know how much a vest costs? Um, uh, I, I I actually wanted to ask him this morning. I saw uh, him in prayer. His are a tad more expensive than the ones that you could buy on Amazon and stuff. Right, like because that. it's like handmade, and it's higher quality. It's right. more made for what we need exactly, and with the right pouches and with the right things, and with the right plates. It's like like for example, for example, mine. He gave me with the plating that also had a second thin layer of Kevlar behind the plate, wow. which when, the, when God forbid, the bullet hits, it, it not only does it block, but it also spreads out the strike energy. Oh, so it doesn't hurt. So it doesn't break ribs and stuff right. like that. Right, wow. Okay. So, so it's, a, it's a tad what more expensive uh, than, than, uh, than those vests. So all of that is through fightforisrael.org uh, with the number four. I, I like that. I like that domain. Fight for Israel. That yeah, I like that that's awesome. Yeah, I like that a lot. So those are great. Okay, I hope people will check it out. And I hope people, I really, really want to thank the people who have been giving uh, through Buy Me a Coffee. Oh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. That's right. Right. Those those uh, those gifts are so helpful and we really appreciate it. And they're, they're also very meaningful because we know how much it means. You know what I mean? To you go and you like go to the side and you put in your info and you give your money and you're 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 not just giving money. You're making a statement and you're standing behind us and and we could feel that. We really appreciate it. That's right. And we got to be together in this time of war. Right. Got to be together. I mean, this time of war, by the way, it's not just here. I know that people can feel it uh, out there listening where they are. You know, you may not have bullets whizzing by. Thank God. Uh, it should never happen, but there's there's a lot of threats out there. You yeah. know, I know America's dealing with its southern border situation. I just saw that uh, Cory Bush and Rashida Tlaib just voted against a bill that would prevent Hamas terrorists from coming into the United States. They voted against it. They're like, no, we want them. Why? Just like you have you have people. I'm just saying there are people in the United States. Uh, powerful people who are not working in the best interests of the American people, and I know Americans can feel that. And that's true all over the world. Right. I mean, I mean, if you talk to the UK, they're talking about recognizing a Palestine. If you talk to some of my uh, colleagues on the nationalist, uh, na- the nationalists, uh, politician in Europe, yeah, in Holland. Mm-hmm. And in in other countries, like they are highly aware in Hungary, they're highly aware of the jihadist threat, uh, and they're also highly aware. And here's very interesting: they're also highly aware of the sister of that jihadist threat, which is progressivism, mm-hmm. which is also anti-Bible, anti-family, and pro-jihad. Right. So 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 Western countries. Parts within Western countries or whatever it's called. I don't even know what that term means, but you know what I mean. Western countries, they recognize that there is this 
what I call the, the progressive jihad axis. And they're against both of those, and that's why we stand together. We also have countries like India who are also against uh, that in large part. Okay, we're talking a lot of smart stuff. Uh, I think that it's time to bring on somebody who I think is a very special. Um, last night, uh, I recorded live on my Facebook page uh, and on, the, on, on Twitter and on also YouTube. I went live, uh, and so I got a lot of comments on a lot of conversations. And my guest was uh, Rabbi Stephen Przansky. Uh, so here's the segment from last night's uh, live program. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a lot of fun and interesting stuff. I also play some of the new videos that I've made along my journey in the last uh, few weeks. So you're going to hear some of those. Also, by the way, our YouTube page is flying. Yeah. Yishai Fleischer TV is flying. And so I highly recommend that you check out Yishai Fleischer TV. Things are happening There's lots at of good YouTube. shorts also. I know yeah. that's like the thing these days and you can forward them because people right. will watch them. Okay, so here is uh, my program, including uh, the one and only Rabbi Stephen Przansky. We are at day 117. That's right. It's been a long war for Israel. We continue to fight. We're continuing to fight the battle for freedom, uh, for against jihadism, against darkness, and for light. And it is uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here at this time, but it's not an easy time. It's not an easy time to be fighting the battles of Israel. Uh, let's get a little bit of a feeling of what um, what it really looks like. Kind of let's do the intro uh, to the uh, the battle, the war that we're fighting. Uh, the Arabs call it the Al-Aqsa Flood. The jihadists call it the Al-Aqsa Flood. And we're living it. You know, we're living in super dramatic times right now. Um, super energetic times. There's so many thoughts and emotions that go through every single day. Uh, we had uh, some very beautiful people killed just in the last 24 hours. And I, wanna, uh, I want to um, mention their names. Itzhar, Horm, Itzhar Horman, Yuval Nir, Netzer Simchi, and Gabi Shani, young men fighting in Gaza and in northern Gaza. Uh, the first man, Yitzhar, was the head of a very special, he wasn't the head of it, he, but, he, but he was a commander within the uh, Shaldag unit, which is Air Force Special uh, special Forces. And some of the best and brightest are falling in this battle. So it's not just, you know, something of a, a Facebook live stream. It's very real. And we are definitely, you know, suffering pain. Uh, but the enemy suffering even more than us, Israel. Uh, we are inflicting damage on the enemy, uh, but is that damage enough? Uh, is it uh, is it is it something that uproots the jihad forever from our land, um, or is it window dressing? Uh, but the jihad is definitely being struck hard, no question about it. Hamas. Uh, still, I started the program talking about the name, and one of the things I think is a mismatch is that the uh, enemy calls this the Al-Aqsa flood. Uh, is that what do we call it? Uh, we call it uh, uh, blades of steel. Um, okay, what does that mean? I don't know. Maybe it's like an AI-generated name. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what, what the Israeli name is. So I discussed it uh, when I was myself this week on the Temple Mount in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. So here's me uh, from the heart of the world, the holiest place of the world, the Temple Mount, what uh, the enemies of Israel called the Al-Aqsa Compound is for us where the first and second and third temple, uh, the two temples stood and the third temple will once again. So here I was uh, at that very holy place. The enemies of Israel 
uh, call the war that we're facing today the uh, Al-Aqsa Flood. Uh, the Al-Aqsa Flood is, uh, it means that they're trying to flood us out, out of this land. And the heart of it all is here, the Temple Mount. Um, and that's the symbol that they use, the heart of Jerusalem. But when we look at this site, we see the third temple, we see the first temple, we see the second temple, the first commonwealth, the second commonwealth, and the third commonwealth. And so the Al-Aqsa Flood is going to turn around on our enemies. Instead of flooding us out, the jihadis are the ones that are going to get flooded out. They're going to get flooded out of this place, and they're going to get flooded out of Gaza. They're going to get flooded out of this land. The jihad is a destructive ideology that destroys, that tries to destroy Israel and Jews, but it destroys the Arab society as well, uh, and Muslim society. We've got to push back on that. We've got to let decent people have a decent life. This place is not supposed to be the heart of jihad. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. So let's turn that Al-Aqsa flood around uh, with faith and with strength. Israel is going to be victorious here. We're going to Flood out. Yes, it's going to be an Al-Aqsa flood. We're going to flood out the jihadis. We're going to destroy them. Uh, and instead, we're going to see an amazing time and a rebirth. The third commonwealth is here, and it's going to get only stronger. Amen. What an honor and a privilege it is to be on the Temple Mount uh, at this time and to, to connect to God and Hashem. Uh, Hashem, of course, means the name. That's the way uh, Jews refer to God. And to be in that holiest place. And again, the enemy, uh, they, they know what it's about, right? They're not just like it's about a small gain. They're about the whole enchilada, and the whole enchilada is is Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. Uh, so um, I was also in another spot uh, just today, which is um, overlooking the Dead Sea. My army unit uh, had a little bit of a kind of goodbye hike for one of our commanders who was leaving, and I got to be in one of the most beautiful places, and I so needed it, really. It was, I, it was you know, when you're at war, there's an attrition. And so I was so thankful that I had a little bit of an opportunity uh, to get some sun, some nature, some the land of Israel. Uh, but these are the words that came to me there. The land of Israel is just so beautiful, so special. It's a godly land. It's called the Holy Land. Uh, and it's a place that could be a light to the world, a place that could be, uh, you know, a place where you could connect spiritually. It's a spiritual capital of the world. And yet we're thrust once again into a war. And once again, the haters want to destroy us. They want to do another Holocaust on us. They want to get rid of us from this land with an ideology of hate and darkness. And so it's like, it's just a battle between chaos and Garden of Eden. Israel wants to be a Garden of Eden. It wants to be a blessing for this region, for the Abrahamic region, the so-called Middle East. I prefer the name the Abrahamic region. It wants to be a light. It wants to share that light. And instead, we are fighting for our life against rapists and, and, and people of, of darkness that want to subdue and suppress, so-called in the name of God. What a lie. What a lie. And what an opportunity we have to live in a beautiful world. Will we succumb to the darkness? Will we submit to that darkness and let them take over the world? Or will we push back with light, with joy, with love, with family, with blessings, with spirituality? This is the opportunity, and Israel's got to fight right now those forces of darkness. And wherever you are, please support us in our fight. Push back against the jihadists and their narratives. Their narratives are lies, and they're here to subdue and suppress us. They're not here to grow us. And also the idea of a two-state solution is the Western part of that jihadi narrative, that we should cut up this tiny land and give it over to the jihad. The West is pushing that. Let's not succumb to these bad ideas. Let's allow this land to flourish. The Jewish people belong in Judea in this land, and when they sit on this land in peace and in security, it'll be a blessing for the world and for the Arab world.
This is the Abrahamic region, and it wants that blessing. Bless Israel, and you shall be blessed. That's just the deal. We will bless you, but bless us, and let us have that time of peace. I guess we're first going to have to finish off this time of war before we have peace. May we have success in war, and Bezrat Hashem, with the help of God, we'll have that peace. Okay, so that was uh, that was me, uh, both on the Temple Mount and overlooking the Dead Sea. Two very biblical, very holy places, uh, and very special times. Again, you could you could feel I could feel the emotion and, and the issues that are out there. Uh, by the way, I wanted to correct myself. It was it's Yitzhar Hoopman, Hoopman, or Hoffman, uh, that uh, that was killed today in Gaza. Thirty six years old, a fighter of Israel. Um, the soldiers are going through a lot, but in some ways, in some ways, the soldiers are the best, get having the best of the times. Why? Because um, they're in battle, and they're not succumbing to some of the weak voices. Rather, they're they're um, in 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 the ecstasy of the holy act of getting rid of the enemies of Israel, and so um, they are just the backbone of the country right now. And I've had the real honor of being part of their uh, part of part of the IDF at this time. Uh, you know, I was already out of reserves. I had finished my reserve duty period and uh, they called me back in as the old movie uh, uh, quote goes. And so um, I, I, I've, I, I just can't tell you the honor that I've had really to be in uniform and to be part of the fight. Um, a great musician, Yishai Rebo, one of Israel's beloved musicians, is out there every single night doing concerts for soldiers. And he's giving a lot of light and a lot of what we call Yiddishkeit, Judaism, which gives wind in the sails of the fight for victory, for spiritual victory and not just physical victory. <clears throat> Yishai Rebo was in uh, the town of Hebron where I have the honor of being the international spokesman. And he played from a truck. This like truck pulls up and they open up the curtain on the side of the truck and boom, there it is. So um, it's just an awesome honor uh, to see Ishai Rebo and others like him coming uh, to places like uh, Hebron and giving us of his time. And he was singing not for the community and not for the tourists, but for the soldiers. Here's a video that I shot with Yishai Rebo in Hebron. Yishai Rebo is playing for soldiers in Hebron. Oh, 
that was uh, Ishai Rebo. Uh, he shares a name with me, although he spells it uh, incorrectly. That's okay. Uh, and he actually also, after that concert, uh, he went up to the tomb of Yishai and Root in Hebron, which is a project that I've been working on for a lot of years. And he got to be there and he sang a song. <laughs> it's, it was pretty, pretty, pretty special and pretty awesome uh, to see him up there. But again, the, the, the point of that video was to hear that song, to see him playing in Hebron, you know, the heart of Judea. But more than that, it's the power of the Israeli soldier uh, that's out there right now fighting for our peoplehood laying life on the line. In Hebrew, we say chiruf nefesh, like offering up the soul. Uh, and four amazing soldiers killed, families forever changed uh, just in the last 24 hours. And yet that sacrifice, it's, it's unbearable, the pain. And yet there's the sense that the sacrifice is something that it's a real offering right now in our time and that the nation wants to fight that evil. There really is a battle against uh, uh, Amalek, and uh, the uh, International Court of Justice at The Hague said that we cannot use the language of Amalek. And I want to say, Amalek, 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 okay? Uh, you, 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 you're not going to stop us from, from using the language of the Bible. And speaking of uh, the language and the language of the Bible, uh, we have with us a very special guest, Rabbi Stephen Przansky, uh, who was an American Orthodox rabbi for many years, author, lawyer, uh, and leader in the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, he was known as being, for a quarter century, the spiritual leader of Congregation B'nai Shurun in Tinek, uh, which was really the uh, stalwart of Zionism in in, in uh, New Jersey and and really in the, in the in the big Jewish area of of New York. He's authored many books uh, on religious topics and has been an executive at the Rabbinical Council of America, amongst many things. Rabbi Przansky, thank you very much for joining us. So good to have you with us. Isha, it's my pleasure. All right, um, Rabbi Przansky, I'm going to. Uh, I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to ask you a lot of things today about really where the war is, where it's going, and and I also want to talk with you a little bit about your the legal perspective because there was this you know case against Israel, the case of genocide against Israel, but an amazing video emerged just today, and I wanted to play this for you, uh, which is uh, a, a a South African city congressman in Johannesburg uh, being, uh, be, before he goes into the council chamber, uh, he made this video explaining the challenges that he faces there. I wanted you to see that and react to it. Friends in South Africa and all around the globe, my name is Daniel Shea and I'm a city councillor here in Johannesburg, South Africa. Behind me is the council chamber, where shortly we will begin our first meeting of 2024. In this chamber today, I'll be confronted by a mayor representing a Muslim party that campaigns extensively on its extremely anti-Zionist stance. I'll be confronted by councillors from the Economic Freedom Fighters, an extreme left-wing movement pushing for the cutting of diplomatic ties with Israel. And of course, I'll be confronted by the African National Congress, the party leading the libelous genocide charge against Israel at the International Court of Justice. To sum it up, I'll be facing off against some of the most prominent anti-Semites in the world right now. These anti-Semites are acting as proxies for Iran. They want you and me to be ashamed of our heritage, to hide our beliefs, and to silence our convictions. I stand here today to tell them straight that they will never succeed. I stand here today proudly with my kippah on my head, an Israeli flag on my tie, and a yellow ribbon on my chest. I stand here today and proudly say that I am a Jew and I am a Zionist, and that every single Jew and every single Zionist around the world should join me in celebrating our beliefs and our heritage. We will not bow to fear and oppression. I pray for the release of the hostages and for deliverance from those who seek to destroy us. Shalom, and I'm Israel Chai. 
All right. Rabbi Przanski, I want you to know that right, right after this, he goes into the chambers and they basically call him out for wearing this like weird symbol on his tie and he stands up for it. And then this, this African lady gets up there and she's like, we have never challenged people's rights to religious freedom in this chamber and we will not start now. Uh, so just before we, before we get to where the war is at, let's talk about the legal war and this case against Israel at The Hague. What do you think, Rabbi? Kolakavot to him for standing up for uh, Israel and his Jewish identity very proudly. We need more of that in the world. Rather than to cower and hide, we should stand up uh, strongly and proudly and forcefully for who we are, what we represent. After all, we're the chosen people, and we shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't shy away from it. We should, in fact, declare to the world that they have a lot to learn from us, especially now, against our will, but nevertheless, how to conduct warfare in an urban setting. And it's only come out the last week or so, ignored by the... Uh, the biased diplomats and the jurists in The Hague, the UN released a report in 2022 lamenting, bemoaning the fact that the civilian casualty rate in urban warfare is nine to one, meaning for every one soldier killed in urban warfare, nine civilians are killed. In Afghanistan, the Americans were a little more careful and five civilians, Afghans, were killed for every one American soldier. In Iraq, apparently, they were even more careful, and four Iraqi civilians were killed for what every American soldier. Well, if you just compute the numbers that even Hamas is releasing about the total casualties in Gaza and what Israel has said about the number of terrorists who've been eliminated in Gaza, the civilian to combatant casualty rate is less than two to one, meaning Israel has the highest record, the greatest efficiency in minimizing civilian casualties in this conflict. And Gaza has the added curveball of having much of the terrorist infrastructure underground for the first time in human history. So literally, our soldiers are entering places where they're in the dark, aside from the fuel and electricity we're forced to provide to our enemies, but they're doing it in such a way as minimizing civilian casualties and jeopardizing their own well-being. It's unprecedented in the history of the world, in the history of warfare, and what do we get for it? This type of indictment at the International Court of Injustice. It's uh, obscene to add to the other obscenities that we've witnessed in the last three and a half months. Was it right to was it right for Israel to enter into that court, legitimize that court, or should have Israel skipped it? My good friend Eugene Kantorovich argued that we didn't have to be there in the first place. I think he's right. If I was making the decision, I think I would have gone only to give a speech and said basically what I just said now, how this tribunal is the height of hypocrisy, and barring a page from Chaim Herzog at the United Nations in 1975, I would have said my words, taken their indictment, and torn it in half, and walked out. Because to actually engage in some type of dispassionate 
analysis and rebuttal of their charges is demeaning. But nonetheless, they did it. I think the ICJ came up with an interim decision that surprised many people in that they didn't outright condemn Israel. They didn't call for a ceasefire, but they did leave the accusation of genocide open for future discussion. But nevertheless, it's probably better than we could have hoped for. On the other hand, it is meant to demean and it is meant to announce to the world, essentially, that when Jews defend themselves, there's something wrong with that. That Hamas and other Arab terrorist groups and radical Muslims feel they have a natural right to kill Jews. But Jews do not have a natural right to defend themselves and take the war to the enemy. And somehow, if the enemy hides among civilians, well, then everything has to end. They say, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. We have to allow our civilians to be murdered and raped and mutilated because now they're hiding among civilians. Of course, it's absurd. No one else would tolerate such a situation. No one in the history of warfare has tolerated such a situation. None of the wars going on now elsewhere in the world, not the wars that America fought recently in this region, and certainly not the way America fought World War II or the Allies fought World War II. You look at the bombings of Tokyo and Hiroshima and Nagasaki just on the Asian front, and look at the way the Allies conducted mass bombings in Dresden and Hamburg, killing tens and tens of thousands of German civilians. In Japan, the tally was close to three to 400,000 Japanese civilians killed in just the raids in those three cities, including the two atomic bombs. And you say, what are we talking about here? We're talking about, yeah, every life is precious, but it's a relative handful of a population that I must remind your listeners is not as innocent as they're portrayed. It's a civilian population that hundreds, if not thousands, took part in the invasion on October 7th, in which they, these so-called civilians, voted Hamas, a terrorist group of genocidal maniacs, into power in 2006. And therefore, they're not even entitled, they should not be entitled to the same protections that ordinary civilians are granted. They, in many cases, are knowingly allowing themselves to be used as human shields and knowingly allowing their homes to be used as bases of terror. After all, many of the shafts that lead into these tunnels are found inside the homes of these so-called civilians, not to mention the schools, the mosques, and the hospitals. So Hamas, a depraved group, has violated every tenet of the norms of even civilized warfare, and therefore I think we make a big mistake in giving any type of legitimacy to an ICJ proceeding, as well as paying a little too much attention to the fates of these not-so-innocent Gaza civilians. Rabbi Przansky, we were you're talking about uh, this institution, which it's it's the trick that it uses is the um, name 
and the international type of aura of of seriousness and serious jurisprudence. It's it's got like a kind of you know it's a kind of put on right. It's a kind of show. Um, a similar organization, which even has more damaging effect, is UNRWA, an organization that's dedicated to the refugee status of um, of the Palest- so-called Palestinians. And uh, I-, I want you to know that I learned what is the yearly budget of UNRWA. The answer is $1.6 billion, billion, with about 30,000 workers. So now they've identified that at least 10 or a little bit more of these workers were actively involved in the October 7th massacre. But soldier friends of mine are telling me that in every house that they go into, there are there is stuff from UNRWA, from the poor to the super rich. There is like UNRWA stuff. UNRWA uh, is an organization that's dedicated to teaching two things. One is jihadism, i.e. hate of Israel. But the other one is is a term that I used on 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 Twitter, and a lot of people picked up on it. Which which a term maybe I created it. It's called refugeeism. They they've they've they're teaching them the narrative of Palestinian refugeeism. It's well known that it's the only organization that's dedicated to keeping uh, a refugee population, a refugee population, even to the fourth generation, an unheard of thing around the world where, where refugee organizations try to matriculate uh, refugees into, into their host societies. Um, my question is, are we going to succumb to this thing or is Israel going to wake up and be like, that's it. You know, we're not going to let this kind of organization and we're not going to let the, f- you know, faux aura of international uh, uh, legitimacy uh, be the thing, the stumbling block that keeps us from empowering, keeps this organization from being empowered in our land to teach both jihadism and refugeeism. Let's start with the original sin, which is that there is a UN agency that deals with refugees across the world. Only the Palestinians have their own agency to deal with them. And like you say very correctly, UNRWA has been a force for destabilizing the situation for perpetuation of the refugee status of the Palestinians. And at this particular point, it actually is not so much a wing of Hamas, but it is indistinguishable from Hamas. You said there are tens of people, it's actually in the hundreds, and the estimate today of the 12,000 Gazans who work for UNRWA, 6,000 of them are either members of Hamas or related to members of Hamas. Everything that UNRWA brings into Gaza falls into the jurisdiction, the nefarious hands of Hamas. Just the other day, even they admitted that 70% of the humanitarian aid, that for inexplicable reasons, Israel's allowing it to Gaza, 70% is taken over by Hamas. So we are literally subsidizing, electrifying, feeding our enemy and prolonging the war. You ask, will we wake up and see uh, UNRWA as the enemy? Well, I should add that UNRWA is not only limited to Gaza. UNRWA has a very active and deleterious relationship in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, in the Holy City. They run at least six schools there, and they fill the minds of their students with Jew-hating ideology of Israel's illegitimacy, 
of the right that Arabs have to murder Jews in any way they can, to the extent that you can see these clips on the internet, if they teach their children that if an Arab has a chance to kill a Jew, a Muslim to be precise, has an opportunity to kill a Jew and he doesn't, he's a bad Muslim. Well, this is UNRWA-related facilities. I think what Israel should do, not only is ban UNRWA from Gaza and from the entire land of Israel, but at this particular point, the UN, which is an organization that is majority dictatorship and tyranny, really have no place anymore in the land of Israel. And their headquarters on the top of the aptly named Hill of Evil Council in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, it should be disbanded, they should be expelled, their diplomats should be deemed persona non grata. And as Rabbi Warren Goldstein said last week in an uh, interview, I, the time has come that the democracies of the world, the 3540 remaining democracies in the world that value freedom and morality and human rights, we have to band together and form our own international organization because the UN is not only flawed, it's defective. You, we spoke about the ICJ a few moments ago. Well, the justices of that court are chosen by the United Nations. So you have people sitting on that court representing despots, representing dictatorships and tyranny, representing injustice. And yet they find themselves in a nice black robe and the, the, the strange uh, white wig, and they're pontificating on matters of morality and justice which are completely beyond their purview and which they have no background for, coming from the countries for which they do. Yeah, so if I was a decision maker, and I guess as Israeli citizens, decision makers, but what we should be doing is urging our government to get rid of UNRWA, to make the Palestinian refugees, as they're now in the fourth generation, like you said, part of the general UN refugee organizational framework and begin the process of getting rid of every single refugee camp wherever they're located in the land of Israel. Because what UNRWA is doing now, it's not a relief organization, it's not a works organization, it's a support of terror organization, and that has to end. And I hope our government has the courage to look beyond, far beyond, what has become the norm, the status quo, the default position, and start thinking out of the box how to change the situation completely. That's true in Gaza, it's true in Judea Samaria, God's land, and it's true as well in regarding UNRWA. We have to change the narrative. They no longer have a place here, and nor does the United Nations. So we've now talked about two external organizations coming in from the international community. We're talking about uh, the ICJ judging us. We're talking about uh, UNRWA teaching jihadism and refugeeism. But jihadism exists also within our very Knesset. And I want to show you a video of Ayman Uda who is the head of the joint list, uh, he's a Knesset member in our Knesset, getting paid a handsome salary 
Uh, and uh, I actually know exactly where he's from because he's actually born in the same village uh, of Haifa that I'm from. And I know his broader family as well, uh, which are the, some of the luckiest Arabs in the whole Middle East, living in one of the most beautiful parts and getting great educations and a great life and beautiful homes. Um, but this Ayman Uda is a bad seed. And he's speaking here in Hebrew. There's subtitles. I'll translate a little bit right after as well. But if you just look at your screens, you'll see uh, what Ayman Uda said in the Knesset. I don't know if I'll play the whole clip, but I'll play part of it for you, Rabbi. Uh, let's take a look. Dam kulam. ללוחמים נגד הכיבוש הארור הזה. אתם לא רק פושעים, אתם גם טיפשים. אתם גם טיפשים. תראו את העם הפלסטיני מול הכיבוש, מול ארצות הברית. העם הפלסטיני עומד לבד, לבד, מול הכיבוש הארור וגם מול ארצות הברית. למה העם הפלסטיני ממשיך לה... All right, so basically Ayman Uda is uh, yelling from the podium and he says the occupation is not only it's an occupation, it's your stupidity. And he says, uh, look at Janine, uh, everybody's going to join the jihad against you. Uh, and uh, he says the proud Palestinian people standing up against Israel and against the United States. Uh, and he is, um, you know, he is being the spokesman for the so-called resistance, right? Uh, and... To some extent, I, I must say, admirably so. I mean, you could say he does he does a good job. Uh, and in general, I think the narrative of the uh, quote unquote Palestinian uh, is is has has traction in the world. It has a lot of traction because it's a very simple and an understandable narrative. Occupation: you guys are stealing somebody else's land. We're the brown or black people. We're the indigenous people. You guys are white colonialists. And that's really the track. You guys are foreigners. You have nothing to do with this land. You've taken over our land. And I saw an awesome, awesome graphic. And when I say awesome, I mean I respect it. Of course, it's my enemy's graphic, but I respect because that's just a general principle of mine, which is to respect the enemy. Um, an awesome graphic where, where it was like an AI-generated graphic, and you see these tanks and jets coming at, you know, this, this again, quote-unquote, uh, you know, an, an, an Arab, quote-unquote, Palestinian fighter. And his feet are these roots in the ground, and he's standing up against this, a massive onslaught and the the legs are like these like tree trunk olive roots and it was just a powerful graphic and so there's Ayman Uda uh getting so we were talking Rabbi Przanski we were talking beforehand about external organizations but from the very within and from within our very Knesset stands stand these people who really claim to be these representative of righteousness but but they are nothing but a front for the jihad but you know how do you explain how, that 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 exists within Israel I was in the Knesset today on other business, and I saw Ayman Uda walking around freely. He's able to speak his mind. Incidentally, I walked past the door that said no entry unless to authorize personnel. I heard screaming at the other on the other side of the door, and then I realized that's the Knesset plenum. <laughs> so they were in session, and they're just all yelling at each other. He walks around freely because this is a democracy. 
I dare say that in any other Arab country, if he found himself in opposition to the government policy, uh, he would not be walking around so freely. So there's no doubt they exploit the fact that we are a democracy. And look, they're citizens and they have the right to vote for their representatives. A few points should be mentioned, though. Poll after poll say that uh, polls of the Arab, Arab Israelis, that if in fact we ever uh, succumb to utter foolishness and allowed a uh, second Palestinian state to be established, you know, the two-state illusion, 90% of Arab Israelis would rather remain in Israel under Jewish sovereignty than move to that Palestinian uh, state because they know that life is good here. And yet they are infected with this jihadist mentality, with a radical Muslim ideology that uh, dictates that there is no room in the Middle East for a Jewish, for that matter, any type of non-Muslim sovereign presence. So in that sense, they are, uh, they would vote against their own interests. They would rather live with Jews in a Jewish state than live with uh, Muslims. But you'd have to take it to a step further. Of course, when he's talking about occupation, he's not talking about uh, Jenin, which is not under occupation anymore. You know, Jenin, the audience should know, is under the jurisdiction of the Palestinian Authority, the PA. So if in fact they wanted to liquidate the Jenin refugee camp and build them permanent housing, there's absolutely nothing stopping them. But the reason why they don't do it is to perpetuate this victim mentality that the life is against them, the Jews are against them, and the Jews took their land. Well, now they're living on the land, and they could just as easily build themselves housing and get jobs other than the production of rockets and missiles to shoot against Jews. That they don't is because you have an entire entity that's only devoted to one purpose, and that's the eradication of the state of Israel and the extermination of every Jew living here. But I would add one point, while he exercises his freedoms and speaks about occupation, and now we're foolish not to accommodate them, we should be saying again and again, what's obvious to any historian, the Palestinian, the so-called Palestinian presence in the land of Israel is barely a century and a quarter old. They're a new phenomenon in uh, this part of the world. It's a contrived identity that only arose to counter the Zionist movement. So therefore, I've issued this challenge many times in the past. Name a Palestinian writer from the 19th century. Name a Palestinian scholar from the 18th century. Name a Palestinian artist from the 16th century. Name a Palestinian uh, cleric from the 15th century. They don't exist. As opposed to the Jews, we have a presence in this land since we entered with Joshua of, 30, of almost 3, 3,000 years ago. We have a constant presence, be 32 and a half centuries ago. We have a constant presence in the land of Israel. You want me to name Jewish writers and scholars and artists and thinkers and authors from the 19th, 18th, 17th, 16th, 15th centuries and before that who lived in the land of Israel? I could do it in an instant but you can't do it for the Palestinians because they didn't really exist. So the more they cry and shout about the occupation and how we took their land, etc., the more any person who has the even a, a basic knowledge of history 
knows how false it is. And the louder they yell, the more their claims are suspect and easily repudiated. And that's what we should be doing. And our government does not always do that. And you have even now in Israel, it's much less than before, this flirtation with the two-state illusion. We have to end those thoughts because they don't want a second state. They don't want a state. They want to destroy us. And we just look back in our history, the last I was just thinking today, on my way back from the Knesset, that I started coming here in the 60s, even though I don't look that old. I started coming in the 60s. And then I remember we were told, do not watch for boxes on the street. Even coins might have bombs in them. There are refrigerator bombs. In the 70s, they progressed to more sophisticated bombs, and they started with shootings, and then they started the stonings and the shootings in the 80s, and the 90s and the O's became the era of more and more shootings on the streets and suicide bombings and bombs on buses and pizzerias and shopping malls. And then in the teens, that's or the late O's, that's when they started with the rockets and the missiles when are we going to learn the basic lesson? They don't want us here. They just want to kill us. And they've done it in many, many different ways since I've been visiting, since I was a child in the 60s. They don't want us here. To give them, as the foolish Americans say, why don't we just reward Hamas and give them a state? They don't want a state. They want to destroy us. And once we recognize that, we'll be a stronger nation for it. I think that ideology will pervade our political system, except for the fringe elements. And we'll know how to deal with our enemy who prays every day for our destruction. Rabbi Stephen Przanski, thank you very much for your clarity. It's good to hear from you. I hope that you're successful in Knesset. We've got to move the dial here a little bit. We've got to use this war uh, to move the dial, to, 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 kick, to kick the kind of to kick the situation in a different way a little bit, to, to get people right, so, out of this zombiness. So ahead. one way I'll add, right, you have, the, 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 we read in the Torah this week, God says to us, I will make you into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's a holy nation? A holy nation is a nation that's devoted to sanctifying God's name. In everything we do, certainly in the military, but in every aspect of life, we should be involved in sanctifying God's name. And therefore, I think one mistake we have to stop making that our politicians have made since time immemorial is looking at the resolution of the conflict somehow in terms of how will we ensure our security? Because that's a fool's errand. There will always be people in the world saying, okay, they'll disarm, they'll demilitarize, we'll send in international forces to protect you. If we make that the reason the justification for our possession and residence in the land of Israel, it's counterproductive. We should make our residence here based on only one phenomenon, and that is it's God's land. And God gave us this land in the Bible, and he promised us that if we're unworthy, we'll be exiled. And yet at the end of days or before the end of days, he will restore us to this land. That's why we're here not because we need a haven or a refuge. We're here because God gave us this land and promised us he will return us to this land at the end of days. 
That's the argument we should be employing. Call it God's narrative. Call it keep God's land. That is Kiddush Hashem. That is sanctifying God's name. And that is the mandate that we received in this week's Torah portion. will be a Gai Kadosh, a holy nation, a nation devoted to the sanctification of God's name. Amen. Zrat Hashem. Rabbi, thank you so much for being with us. So does. Thank you. You know, it's it's people say to me, uh, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> so I always say to them, how about from his mouth to our ears? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> That's we have to be open to that frequency to hear the messages that he's sending us. Amen. Rabbi Todaraba, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, it was great to have Rabbi Stephen Przansky on the show. Uh, an excellent and amazing intellectual uh, and leader in the Jewish people. And I just want to read a few of the uh, stuff that you guys sent me, uh, people that are watching live right now. For example, Layla Miller, writing a lot. She's excited. She's on it. And she says, you can't occupy your own land. It's our land. And she says, stop agreeing that all Israeli Jews are white. They're Middle Eastern. That might stop the white colonizers lie in the West. And she continues saying, Israel needs to change the language. No refugees, no refugee camps, no such thing as Palestinians. They're from Gaza or from West Banks. Arabs are the the, uh, occupiers and the colonizers. They're not from Gaza or the West Bank. I understand. Uh, Let's see who else. Uh, We have uh, Gai Nefeli writes, I don't understand to this day about any universal concern about the Palestine people in the West Bank and Gaza. They're from Jordan and Egypt. The Palestine hoax. When does it ever end? And uh, with regarding to Ayman Uda that I played before, uh, Troll Nerd says, send him to Janine there if he likes it so much. Uh, and Daniel says, no, they should send him to Gaza. Uh, so basically, a lot of people uh, are not happy with uh, the stuff that he was saying there. And Mark, my good friend, Dr. Mark Pickles, says, indeed, the Nakba is, in fact, the loss of honor. Passed on is a shame down the generations of losing wars to Jews. And Troll Nerd also says, Unra equals Hamas. So there you go. Uh, thank you very much, all my friends from all over the world. I want to bless you. I, I have a deal for you. I'm going to make a deal with all of my international listeners. You send a blessing to Israel, and we'll bless you back. Okay? You guys send your brachot, your blessings. I want you to bless Israel. And what we're going to do is we're going to bless you back. We're going to make it into a simple biblical deal. You bless us, we bless you back. That's all. It's like, it's not going to become like, it's not something that's going to happen through some kind of like weird automatic spiritual, like, you know, like in the heavens. No, no, no. You bless Israel and we bless you back. And I'm sending blessings right now to all those that love Israel, all those that love Israel, the Jewish people, God and the Bible. All those, I'm sending them blessings. That's part of the deal. All right, finally, uh, for those listening on the Shai Fleischer uh, show, you won't be able to see this part. You'll just hear the music. It's just about 57 seconds. This is the music to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, but for those watching right now live uh, or on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, uh, this is a great video uh, of that, that Israeli soldiers made of themselves being tough guys, being the beautiful, awesome, the good, uh, the badass. Uh, and the awesome Israeli soldier. Uh, Let's take a look.
Okay, so that was Israeli soldiers uh, um, showing their toughness uh, and their cuteness. And a little bit of humor is so, so needed at the same time uh, as that we're dealing with all of this. We need a little bit of humor uh, and we need those blessings and we need to smile because today four Jews have fallen. And so we pray for the souls of Yitzchak Hoffman, Yuval Nir, Netzer Simchi, and Gabi Shani, who fell today. The show is dedicated to them. I wish I could do more. We all wish we could do more uh, for your soul, for your family. Uh, but at least what we could do is mention uh, your name here on the show. I want to thank everybody from all over the world for being with us. Thank you. God bless you. God love you. And may you be blessed uh, in all of your steps. May God bless your water and your bread. And he may bless your families uh, and your and your spirituality. Uh, and wherever you are, pray towards Jerusalem. That's my advice to you. Pray towards Jerusalem. Bless Jerusalem. Bless Israel. But face Jerusalem. Whoever you are, Jew or non-Jew, uh, that is the first step, which is when we pray, pray towards Yerushalayim. That's praying for the strength and the peace of Jerusalem. Okay, thank you very much, Rabbi Przanski. Thank you very much for being with me for the live segment. Uh, and before we go on, we have uh, one more segment. Actually, one and a half. We have Ben Bresky coming up, and we have uh, just a small piece of table Torah. Uh, before we go to that, I just want to thank you, Chavit Seidman, Moshe Herman, Tabitha, Ben Bresky, Lou, when we're live. He was live with me yesterday. Uh, and also Dovid, our team member for the YouTube uh, Ishai Fleischer TV. Thank you very much for that. Uh, thank you very much, my amazing team. You guys really get it out there. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, including the good folks at Buy Me, no, good folks at prohibitionpickle.co.il. Uh, and I got great, uh, great yummies uh, sponsored. Yeah, delicious pickles That's and right. krauts. Thank you very much uh, for sending it all the way uh, from uh, that, that donation from the United States and, and bringing it to, to our house. And it was so sweet. That was very, very thoughtful of Well, you. I think it was more sour. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Well, <laughs> some guess, of the pickles were sweet and sour. I guess it was sweet and sour. Okay. Um, so that's, that's prohibitionpickle.co.il. Uh, our good friends at Hebron, hebronfund.org. Keeping Hebron strong. And in fact, I'm going to Hebron right now to accept an ambulance from Mogin David Adom. Mogin David Adom? <laughs> Are you going to be drinking Manischewitz while you're there? <laughs> Mogin David Adom. Mada, Mogin David Adom. Uh, we have the amazing Magid family uh, who donated a brand new ambulance. And it's coming today. And little old Yishai had a, had a part in that, and I have a, I'm going to be accepting it in the name of the family today. I'm very excited. That's very nice. That's that's a, that's a big deal. It is. It's a little piece of life saving on wheels. Nachon, nachon, and it strengthens the community. So thank you very much, Mara Magentavidodom. Thank you very much, the Magid family, and thank you very much, the Hebron Fund, HebronFund.org. Of course, if you want to go to the Temple Mount, I was on the Temple Mount this week. You're going to hear. Oh, you heard about that, and so. Uh, check out highonthehard.com. Uh, they'll get you on the Temple Mount in holiness and in awesomeness, highonthehard.com. Uh, our good friends uh, at retrowatchguy.com. My, my, um, if you go to the Retro Watch Guy uh, 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 Instagram, you will see a picture of me with my, uh, with my, with my, with my army getup and my Tissot cool watch. watch, right? Because, because my other watch it took a hit and is being fixed. So I'm wearing my Shabbat regular. What's it called? Daily my 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 Shabbat driver as my uh, daily driver right now. 
but it's working great. It's you know from the seventies by Mimahem Bazman Hazed. It's giving me time from it's giving me time from from way back. It's giving me good time right now. Uh, so that's retrowatchguy.com. And of course, our good friends at Kosher Cycle Tours. The time is coming, Maka, that you and I are going to take a Kosher Cycle tour I gotta get in those, the land of Israel. Those squishy pants. Speaking of that, uh, tomorrow morning, you and I are going to the Dead Sea. Yes. Where, where what, not for relaxation. No. No. Uh, my son, our son, Elazar, and myself, and my sister, Racheli, we're going to do the 5K. At the at the Dead Sea Marathon, okay. There is a like a forty one k or whatever forty two. I don't know what it is. Yeah, the the marathon. So lots of k. Yeah, and then and then there's like a half, and then there's a teensy weensy. Yeah, you're doing the five k. We're doing a special k. Special and, k. And, and my job is to hold a sign on the side. Woo! Be like go go tie your shoelace first, but go like that. Double knot. Okay, <laughs> let me actually shift gears now and bring on our intrepid. One and only a reporter of history and knowledge, and that is Ben Bresky, with a very exciting segment about Moroccan Aliyah. And I want to say, okay, you know what? Let's just go for it. Let's just go for Ben Bresky with Moroccan Aliyah, and I'll explain a few things about Moroccans uh, when we come back. Here we go. Ben, take it away. This is a moment in Jewish history. In a recent show, I talked about the Baba Sari, the famous rabbi who moved from Morocco to Israel. He was one of many. The Jewish community of Morocco is one of the oldest and became one of the largest in the world. It developed unique customs, such as the holiday of Mimuna, which comes the day after Passover. This holiday has Jewish religious significance, as well as representing positive relations between Jews and Moroccans. However, when Arab nationalism took hold, the Jewish community began to leave in great numbers. As described in the previous episode, Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatzera, better known as the Baba Sali, personally witnessed the execution of his brother in the 1920s. During the battles between the Moroccans and the French, the Moroccan leader of a town accused the Jews of siding with the French and ordered the execution of the entire community. However, in the end, Rabbi David Abu Chatzera told the community he would bear the burden, and he was executed while the rest of the community was spared. Previously, a riot took place in the city of Fez in 1912, also in the context of the French-Moroccan conflict. Forty-two Jewish residents were killed when rioting took place in the Jewish quarter of the city. During World War II, France was occupied by Nazi Germany, and because Morocco was under French rule, this affected them too. Anti-Jewish laws were enacted by the Vichy government. However, Sultan Mohammed V of Morocco resisted these laws. The Jews of Morocco were never deported to concentration camps, unlike other countries. And the city of Casablanca became a haven for refugees. Unlike Arab leaders such as Haj Amin Husseini, the Mufti of Jerusalem, who was an active supporter of Hitler and even recruited Muslims to the Nazi cause, Sultan Mohammed saw himself as a protector of all the citizens of Morocco, regardless of faith. To this day, some Moroccan Jews hang his photo on their wall. Israel became independent from the British on May 14, 1948, and the surrounding Arab countries attacked. Arabs and Muslims from around the world began expressing anti-Jewish rhetoric. 
Sultan Mohammed declared that he had affirmed the Jews' traditional protected status in Morocco, but also warned them not to demonstrate any solidarity with the Zionist cause. Despite this, rioting broke out against Jews in the cities of Uja and Chirada in June of 1948. Forty-seven Jewish residents were killed. It started several days before when Muslims began to boycott Jews. Five people were killed in the Shuk el-Yahud, the Jewish market in Uja. Rioting spread the next day to the nearby city of Jarada, in which the mob killed Rabbi Moshe Cohen and his family. Among the Jewish dead were ten children and ten women. The Jewish community had already began to flee Morocco, but in the year after the riots, 18,000 Moroccan Jews left for Israel. Up until 1952, that number rose to 28,000. Morocco had become independent from the French in 1956, and full rights and status were conferred to the Jewish population. However, they did impose travel restrictions. A steady flow of Jews left Morocco for Israel until 1961, when the government finally began cracking down and banned all immigration and any encouragement to do so. This was when the Israelis decided to begin a secret immigration program called Operation Yachin. The issuance of passports to Jews was reduced almost to zero. Jewish organizations stepped into action and began to issue fake passports. Youth volunteered to ensure that the immigrants were safely transported to a beach where boats awaited them and took them on small ships to Gibraltar or Spain, from where they sailed on to Israel. Families were instructed to get rid of as much of their property as possible without arousing suspicion among their Muslim neighbors, and to leave Morocco with only one suitcase. To defend the Jewish community from attacks, clandestine self-defense groups were created. This was called the Misgeret, or framework. It also quietly facilitated the immigration. One of those young Israelis involved was Yehudit Yehez Kelly Galili, who was sent to Morocco as a kindergarten teacher. Her kindergarten doubled as a center for Misgeret activity. She helped arrange passports and worked with the Jewish underground and with children in transit camps. One of her fellow activists was Shlomo Yehez Kelly, whom she later married. The two together were awarded for their work in helping children. The French newspaper Le Monde reported in 1961 that some 30,000 Jews had left Morocco illegally since the country attained independence. It stated that Moroccan Jews suffer either individually or collectively, asserting that arrests of Jews had recently increased and even the most inoffensive Jewish organizations were regarded with suspicion by Moroccan authorities. Jews were illegally leaving Morocco at the rate of 2,000 a year. The paper added that the deterioration of conditions for Moroccan Jews was particularly regrettable because Morocco was probably the only Middle Eastern or Arab country where Jews could live harmoniously with the Muslim majority. From 1961 to 1964, about 97,000 Jews left Morocco for Israel. Unfortunately, not everyone made it. In 1961, a boat called the Egos had been traveling back and forth to Morocco to transport Jewish immigrants. A storm at sea caused the boat to sink, leading to the deaths of 46 people. 
French newspapers reported that the drownings were a result of the refusal of the Moroccan government to grant passports to Jews so they could leave the country openly. In Jerusalem, Dr. Nahum Goldman expressed the hope that the disaster would induce the Moroccan government to carry out its pre-independence pledges and obligations to the United Nations under the Human Rights Charter and enable the departure of Moroccan Jews by more normal ways. He said the tragedy again proves that the desire on the part of Moroccan Jews to immigrate to Israel was so strong they were ready to risk their lives for it. The sinking of the Egos led the Israelis to create Operation Murale. They proposed allowing Moroccan children to spend vacations in Switzerland, but they recruited Jewish children and the vacation was only a stopping point for them to travel on to Israel. One of those who participated was British Jewish activist David Littman, who was not told of the full extent of the operation. He, his wife, and his young daughter were sent by the Jewish agency to Morocco to help Jewish children. The following is David Littman from a documentary on Operation Mural. On the 8th of June, I came with the first group, 80 names, I remember, to see Alawi Tajuddin. He was the Halifa, as he was called, the person in charge of the first uh, arrondissement district of Casablanca, which we visited. He looked at the passport, collective passports. Suddenly he said, this is a plot. This is prepared. Uh, Mr. Littman, you shouldn't have become involved. How can I know a difference between Amar, Ifra, uh, Knafu, Shriki and Malka? It means nothing to me. How can I know that these are all Jewish children? Please look again and be sure. Are you sure? He looked at the passports and he said, there's no doubt. This is a plot. This is a Zionist plot and I won't have anything to do with it. And I said, what? You are accusing me of being involved? This is impossible. Most of our problems were to be solved by my excellent relations with a high security officer. Then I happened to be at the swimming pool, the Contiki, where I met again uh, Mohamed Risi. He said, how is it going, Mr. Littman, with your group uh, from the Martyrs of the Resistance? I said, it's going fine, but I've just been accused of some Zionist activity. I don't know what they're talking about. He also touched his head and said, they're, they're crazy. And the result was that when I went back uh, the next time, Tajuddin said, I don't know who you have on your side, but from now on, you bring all the passports you want. They will all be signed automatically, but I will still do my report. Eventually, Littman was told of the full extent of his work, and years later he was honored with a special award for rescuing children. The story of Moroccan Aliyah has many twists and turns. Today, Morocco has joined the Abraham Accords. The holiday of Mimuna is an officially recognized Israeli holiday, and Jews of Moroccan descent are prominent in all fields of Israeli society. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners, and Shalom. All right, we're back. Ben Bresky, thank you very much for the story of Moroccan Aliyah. I just want you to understand something about Moroccans. Where is this about to go? You have to be a little Moroccan in this country 
in Israel. If you don't understand Moroccan food, you're going to be They're out. delicious food. If you don't understand Moroccan prayers, That's if you don't know harder. how to if you don't know how to read a Moroccan sitter, if you don't if you can't get that, you will be out. What do I why do I say that? I was just at a Hachnasat Sefer Torah. They put in a new Sefer Torah at at a Magav, which is a border border, border police, police uh, uh, right? Because even at base. the police, they want a Sefer Torah, right? And and then we had the whole event was Moroccan. Oh, really? Moroccan music, Moroccan rabbis, Moroccan Sefer Torah, oh, wow. Moroc- everything Moroccan. Okay. Cool. Now, even the donor was a Syrian Jew, and and which is not Morocco, but it doesn't matter if you don't understand the lingo, the sitter, the style, the 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 food, and the sound. You're out. You have to understand Israel is a Middle East country. And so, for example, if you want to go to the army, you ever want to go to a synagogue in the army, you got to understand Moroccan. The guy who's going to be praying is likely to be Moroccan. And the sitter that you are like more likely to find is Moroccan. And so, therefore, all I'm trying to say is just learn Moroccan. Some people say... Learn Moroccan? What does that mean? Learn the culture of, of, of Moroccan Jewry. What am I saying here? Is that my I don't know. Some? Yeah, that's confusing. What do you mean, learn the culture? Am I supposed to go on Wikipedia? What are you talking about? Go to their shuls and pray with them, to their synagogues and pray with them. Go to their house and eat their food. Definitely listen, do that. Listen to their songs and get their, get their vibe. That's all I'm saying. Learn the vibe. I can't... I'm, I'm not going to do a three-part class on, on how to be a Moroccan, but, 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 but once, you, once you learn it, it is a wonderful and beautiful culture my mom god bless her what took a 10 day trip to morocco and said it was it was just awesome uh all i'm saying is what ben bresky just did about moroccan aliyah is important to the very culture of israel that's all i'm saying very important i'm telling you from experience it's a piece of info uh fine right uh, maka let's finish off the show i want to i want to give everybody you know uh their uh you know, the, their, their right to go on to the next podcast or whatever they got to do. Uh, but I do want to talk just, just a tad, Malka, about the Torah portion. This is one of your favorites. Yes. It is the receiving of the Torah Parsha Yitro. By the way, I just want to say people. Yeah. I know that there's all kinds of different people who listen who listen to this show. And I just want to say, yeah. if you're not accustomed to going to synagogue every week, this is the week to go. Go to the synagogue this week. Parsha Yitro, Ten Commandments, you'll feel good about it. Right. Here are the Ten Commandments, and the custom is in most, uh, uh, I, you know what? I don't like the word synagogue. I never liked that word. Just in most Jewish houses of prayer, the custom is, the, uh, you know what? No. In most Jewish Beit Knessets, Batei Knesset, you have to, you're supposed to stand when they read the Ten Commandments on, on the Shabbat, this Shabbat. The Torah portion is replete with blessings for the Jews, including you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then the Ten Commandments. And you know, Malka, you get the Ten Commandments, you could a little bit fall into haughtiness. God gave you an, ex- an exodus from Egypt, split the Red Sea from you, brought you to the Sinai Desert, gave you the Torah to this nation, told you that you're a holy nation and a special nation. You could get a tad of haughtiness. So the last verse in the Torah portion of Yitro is one that you might not think should be there, but the last verse says, it's starting to talk about how you build a tabernacle for God, how do you build a mizbeach, a altar for God. And he says, uh, the second to last verse, if you're going to build me 
a, a altar of stone, i.e. for a temple. Don't build them with like hewn stone. Don't swing your sword on it. And you're going to make it, uh, you're going to, um, what's the opposite of sanctify? I always forget the word. Desecrate, right? Don't desecrate it uh, because, I don't know, because it's violent or, or there's other reasons. But here's the important one for me in this case. Don't walk up on steps up to my altar so that your nakedness should not be revealed upon it. The halachic implication is the uh, uh, cannot build the stairs up to the altar, but it it's rather has to be a ramp. Fine. Because when you walk with stairs, so your nakedness can show through your pants and whatever it is. Okay. That's the, that's the legal element. And that is, in fact, if you see all the pictures of the tabernacle and, and, all the, and the temple, both altars are with a ramp. But I think in here is hidden a different meaning. And it okay. goes like this, which is, Don't go up with heights. Like, look at me. I am the chosen people. Look at me. I have received the Torah. Look at me. I'm knowledgeable. Look at me. I'm more knowledgeable than the Gentiles. Look at me. I'm above. When you go up to my altar, don't you be going up with haughtiness. Why? Because you didn't create this world. I created this world. It's my order. You're here to serve me and to serve the Gentiles by giving them a channel and a blessing of a light of God. You're here to work, buddy. So don't walk up with haughtiness onto my altar. Because if you do walk with haughtiness, everyone's going to see the truth. Everybody's going to see your everybody's going to see your erva, which is your nakedness, which is you're not all that. Yes, you're a holy nation, but because I made you so, because you work for me and you have a role to play in this world. But don't walk around with haughtiness. Don't walk around with haughtiness. And also. Jewish people, you're stubborn and you're not always that smart, okay? So just walk with humility and if you get a chance to have an altar and a temple and a tabernacle, do it with humility. Remember your role in this whole thing. Like, yes, you were stood at Sinai. Yes, you received the Torah. But don't think that it was like because, you, you know, because you're the best. It's because I chose you to do it and you have a job. Just like the priests are people within our peoplehood, etc. We have a role to play for this world. And to have that humility. With the help of God, uh, we should have that humility. And I want to thank all the listeners and all the friends and all the emails and all the connections. Please connect with me and Malka. If you want great, the best Twitter, uh, uh, check out Malka's amazing Twitter at Malka Fleischer. Uh, and check out our social media, including YouTube and Instagram. And uh, what do you call it? What else? Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, right? Oh, yep. <laughs> <All laughs> ye old Facebook, of course, still out there. Uh, and I want to bless you wherever you are. And as I said in the video, uh, I have a simple deal for everybody. You send us blessings, we're blessing you right back. That's the deal. That's right. I think that's an active deal, Malka. When, 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 the, when the world blesses Israel, we got to send them that blessing Those back. Those who bless you will be blessed. Right, but I don't mean that in an automatic, that's exactly what I'm saying. Don't think that's an automatic thing. You actively bless us, and we shall actively bless you. That's what we shall do. We will send you. It's not that if you bless us, you'll be blessed. No, 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 no. If you bless us, you will be blessed. 
that's the deal. We will send you that blessing and we'll ask God to show his face upon you and shine it into your home, your family, into, into your life. All right, folks, God bless you. God bless the soldiers of Israel. God protect the soldiers of Israel. God give solace to the, the families that have lost loved ones and to this nation that hurts. May God help us destroy the forces of Amalek that rise up against us and rise to darken this world. May they be blotted out and their memory be blotted out from underneath the heavens. God bless you wherever you are. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. Shalom. Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.